3: We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the yogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
4: Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today we'll be looking at some insights and practices for living our highest life today and what yoga can offer us in terms of being awake and fully living fully. I want to share something with you as we begin now. How easy it is to move through our days as if we were in some sort of dress rehearsal for real life, despite the nagging suspicion that this is it, that real life is right here, right now. How, then, shall we make it count? How do we find our way? Such uncertainty is part of the human condition and always has been in response to this age-old questioning, this yearning for clarity and direction we humans have over the centuries created a vast multitude of paths and called them by many names, religions, philosophies, political ideologies. Yoga is one path out of the spiritual wilderness, a highway that was built by those who came before us and that has been trodden by millions over the years. And so we're going to be looking at that ancient path today and bringing forth that deep question of how do we find joyful, fulfilling life right in the midst of what we're doing every day. And that... um, Reading I shared with you is from the introduction of a beautiful book called Meditations from the Map that is by our guest, Rolf Gates. He's an acclaimed yoga and meditation teacher, former social worker, and U.S. Airborne Ranger. He's co-founder of the Yoga and Recovery Conference at Esalen Institute, which I think he's just back from, and is working with the U.S. military on sustainable care for the troops and their families. He's the author of several books, including one we're going to be drawing from today, Meditations from the Mat, Daily Reflections on the Path of Yoga. You can find out more about his books um, and teaching schedule at at his website, rolfgates.com. Welcome, Rolf. I'm so um, delighted that you're here with us today on the Yoga Hour.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here.
4: And um, before we start our conversation, let's have uh, a yoga moment and uh, just a short meditation to bring our attention and awareness right into this moment. begin simply by being aware of our breath and as you breathe in feel that you're drawing your attention within and as you do connect with yourself your essential self deeper than thoughts deeper than feelings unchangeable pure existence being. So breathing in, dive within. Breathing out, just let go of any distraction, any concern, and come into the fullness of this moment, the stillness of this moment, the radiance the beauty of your divine self. And you can do this with your eyes open or your eyes closed. Just watching your breath, being aware of the breath coming in and moving out naturally and gently. And letting the breath be an anchor that keeps the attention from moving into the past or trying to venture into the future, just here and now. This is a meditation moment. You can do it any time, and in fact, several times throughout the day is recommended a meditation moment. Just bringing attention within, becoming aware of inner stillness. If even for a moment, that stillness, that peace, that consciousness can illumine the body and mind. So let's bring forth that inner peace now with a commitment to take it with us everywhere we go today. To bless every encounter with the radiance of the Divine Self and the peace that passes
0: all understanding.
4: We're going to be talking about how to live our highest life today and how it is that yoga can support that. Ralph, you did several things before finding the path of yoga, uh, several ways of serving in the world as an Army Airborne Ranger and working as an addiction counselor. Um, so tell us how you found yoga and how it, it seems from looking at your book, yoga just seemed to be a natural fit and a natural support for the work um, that you do in the world. So how did you find yoga and um, how has it made a difference for
1: you? Well, um, there were a lot of little hints um, in my life uh, before I actually came to yoga. You know, uh, for reasons that weren't clear to me, people would say, "Hey, you're flexible. You'd be great at yoga." When I was younger, and I didn't even know what yoga was, and so I thought it was kind of an odd compliment. You know, so that was happening off and on in my teens and twenties. And um, but once I got so I got sober uh, through a twelve step program at twenty six. I became extremely, um, you know, I'm not sure how to put it, aligned behind, you know, uh, spiritual practice. And that became the focus of my life. And this idea of applying spiritual principles, and that's what addiction counseling was for me. Um, it was a chance to help people, uh, you know, grow and change through the application of spiritual principle, and, you know, both through the teachings but also through, you know, connection, through relationships. And so I was really in that. That was the focus of my life. And uh, one of the twelve steps is the the eleventh step says that to seek through prayer and meditation conscious contact with God as you understand God. And um, and so at eighteen months sober, I started meditating, and it immediately um, had a positive effect. You know, I bought. Uh, Zen mind, beginner's mind for Christmas, and to have a present to myself. And I'd read a, you know, the writings are very kind of succinct but uh, available. Um, and I started sitting with that every day. And my friend immediately noticed the difference. A friend of mine, a week into it, a friend of mine got in the car with me. He's like, Well, what happened to your car? You know, because it used to be a mess and it was now clean a, <laughs> like meditation, you know. And uh, he was shocked, you know. And, um, <laughs> So meditation really, got, you know, if you think about getting sober, that's about a, a, an awakening of the mind and the heart. And meditation was bringing that awakening into my body. It was like sitting because so something about sitting and breathing was very physical, you know. Um, and so I started to have. I had a lot of trauma. I was my childhood was extremely traumatic. I kind of relentlessly so. So I had no center. I had no stillness in my body in the sense of safety or ease. And meditation immediately mm-hmm. I mean, started to address that. Uh, mm. And so it, it, I wasn't, I couldn't have put it into words, but there's an opening to the idea of an embodied peace and a embodied wellness uh, through meditation. And so when yoga asana was mentioned to me, I was like, well, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs>
5: and
1: I was like, well, I, that's, um, sign me up. And so... <clears throat> I ended up at Kripalu, uh, uh, the yoga center in the East coast. And I loved it from day one. Um, I didn't know what they were doing or anything, but they'd have this morning sadhana it was before sunrise and it's all sacred and, and intentional. <laughs> and I just, I just, I loved it, you know? And then they had like an afternoon practice, which is more of like a theme, you know, people were like kind of showing off a little bit. Um, you know, like, look how yoga I am, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I liked both settings. I thought it was great to do the morning kind of anonymous, quiet, still practice. And I liked that there was this inclusion of the larger culture happening in the mm. afternoon, you know. The mm. self was there, you know, <laughs> on so, mm. uh, display the afternoon. And I liked both, you know, because I felt like my my experience of spiritual practice was that it was kind of a both. It was both the, the retreat, you know. Silent kind of experience, but also there's the, the you know the spiritual practice of you know of every day of being in the Mm. world. And I I saw yoga being relevant to both.
4: Yeah, and it seems to me, um, you know, in my own experience, in my own life, um, having um, walked the path of recovery too for, I don't know, more than twenty five years now. it's interesting to me that the emphasis uh, i mean the whole idea of recovery you know what is it that you're going to recover <laughs> you know you're going to re- Recover, you know, of course you're going to recover from addiction, but to me it's much deeper. What you recover is yourself you know, and your connection to truth uh, and, and you know, which has to happen with this integrity of the body, mind and a spirit and in yoga, you know, we say that, you know, one dif- definition of yoga is being restored to our original wholeness and uh, so it makes perfect sense to me that you had this common the nation of um, you know, finding the path of recovery, and then yoga becoming uh, a deeper way um, to experience that. Uh, connection to yourself. Um, I also, uh, for me, one of the first books on my journey was Suzuki Roshi's book also that's in Mind, beginner's mind. And it was so helpful to me because my mind was, you know, um, completely the monkey mind you know, that's described in yoga and uh, it just was so out of control and you know, I just thought I'm never going to be able to meditate. This is just, it was scary to me actually. My own mind was you know they say don't go in there alone (laughs) that's how it was and um i just remember you know reading in zen mind beginner's mind where he just you know he said just sit you know like don't worry about it just sit and i thought okay you know i could do that but you know i had no idea how difficult it was to, to to find the discipline to actually just sit every day so you know it it began that way um for me and uh, so, in your book, you know, you, of course, have taken, um, you know, from asana, uh, you know, taking us through the, the eight limbs of yoga, starting with yama and niyama, of course, and really um, providing this contemplation of the, the spiritual essence of yoga. Um, what led you to write this this book?
1: Well, you know, a few years after I started um, uh, practicing, I, I just took a month vacation at Kripalu again where they, and my wife and I were like, let's do, yeah, let's do a month there, and we were looking at different programs, and she chose first, so she got like a, I think a holistic health program, and the only thing left was a yoga teacher training, and so I say, well, how bad can that be? So I did that for a month, and I ended up <laughs> And I ended up, because I just wanted to be at Kapala in July for the month, you know. They have a lake and a forest and you know, like, a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, so that like a great month. And I uh, uh, ended up a teacher, and I ended up teaching while I was um, in graduate school. It was um, kind of my, my part-time job was teaching yoga, and I, I taught it a lot, actually. taught about five days a week while I was in school. And I started to really, you know, kind of just get behind it as a as a process, as a practice, as an offering to my community. Uh, and before I knew it, uh, I was uh, running a yoga studio in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, that was—I uh, had been doing that for a couple of years. So I was like, at this point, a full-time teacher, running a yoga studio, um, and it was a it was a you know, uh, a lot, like, large classes. You know, 40, 60, 80 people showing up. Um, so it was like a big to-do, you know. I was running at Boston's first big studio. And so I was really involved in that, and I wasn't thinking of anything else. I was like the, the running of a business and the showing up for 10, 12 classes a week was had my full attention. But I was walking back um, from class in one fall morning, and Katrina Kennison, who is a very, uh, she's like a, you know, been a, an author her whole life, or editor her whole life, an accomplished uh, person. Um, had been taking classes with me, and she said, "You should write a book of your stories." Okay? What I was doing was theming my classes. Uh, you know, I'd put a spiritual. So, so my idea of a theme is, is, that, is that there's some particular principle that you're learning to apply in your life, and you apply it to your poses kind of as a practice for applying it to your conversations or to your, your work life, you know, it, that the, the class is like a mini-life, you know, that situation, and you can apply the principle during that class to kind of understand it for yourself. And uh, one of the ways that I would communicate the concept was through storytelling. Um, and so she was like, well, why don't you tell your stories in a book? And I said, yeah. And then she kind of walked me through putting together a proposal. Uh, she got you know, we went to a bunch of publishers. She sold the book. Uh, and I just, um, you know, I mean, this is a long time ago for me. So I was in my 30s, uh, so I had kind of like the false the, uh, optimism of youth. And I really had, you know, throughout my life, when, it, when, when there was a challenge in front of me, I, I felt the best thing to do is to say yes to it, it because there's this opportunity to grow when we say yes to a challenge and kind of usually I say yes, but it's harder than I thought it was going to be. There's more involved than I thought it was going to be, but I kind (laughs) of like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I usually find that whatever I'm doing is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, but then that creates all this contour, right? Instead of just climbing up a hill, you find yourself climbing up a mountain with many twists and turns and plateaus and cliffs. And, uh, uh, and so that's how writing was for me. I said yes to it really before I knew what I was getting into. Um, uh, but I saw an opportunity as a yoga teacher. I had had kind of rapid uh, uh, kind of access to power and success. And I felt that writing this book, Your Meditation on the Mat, was a chance for me to really uh, recommit to knowing what I was talking about, you know? It was like I had become very adept at a movement class, uh, but the speed and the intensity of that learning curve had not made a lot of room for me to continue my studies of Yoga Sutras.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: this book would be like a year of study, you know? Mm-hmm. Right at you know, right at a point at a kind of flexion point in my learning process. And so I saw like worst case scenario, no one would ever buy the book, but I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And so and so uh uh, yeah, this was, if you look at the structure of the book, it's just an immersion into the Yoga Sutras um, for well, me personally. Yeah,
4: it's a beautiful you know. book, and it's very beautifully done. And, you know, as I as I listen to you, you know, of course, it's a little bit familiar to me having, um, you know, begun a, a yoga center. And, and really, you know, people have asked me, you know, did you... Uh, you know did you dream this you know did you visualize this did you plan this you know this um, you know this this center that offers services you know every day of the week and um, you know, retreats and classes for youth and Yoga Sutra classes and Kriya Yoga classes and so on and so forth. And I, and I have to say, no, I, I actually didn't. And I, I really did the same kind of thing, which was to say yes to the next thing. And um, I often, you know, think about, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda, um, who's, that's the lineage of Kriya Yoga we're in. he is quoted as saying, you know, I, I always bite off more than I can chew and then I chew it and um, for me that's not intentional although I would say I've become a little bit wiser over the years and and simply know now that things are going to require more than I think they are you know when I uh, set out to to do them Um, and I was wondering you know as I was listening to you um, how it How it was, you know, for you in the midst of, it sounds like a very, uh, like a blossoming uh, career um, as a Hatha yoga teacher and as a meditation teacher, you know, how you then... um, Deepened your practice. And of course, you you mentioned the book was one way to do it, you know, committing to that study. And when we get back from the break, let's talk more about that, about, you know, how we're in the world. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a full place to be these days, I think, for most people. So how do we, um, really live this, uh, in the deep end spiritually with our yoga practice? When we get back from the break, let's talk about that, Rolf. You're listening to the yoga hour with, Uh, special guest today Rolf Gates he's author of uh, the book Meditations from the Mat Daily Reflections on the Path of Yoga and you can find out more about his books and teaching schedule at his website rolfgates.com and we'll be right back with you
2: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics Someone once said there are two ways to get to the top of an oak tree. Climb the tree or plant an acorn and wait. If we expect changes to happen in our lives, we may want to consider climbing. Plus, changes needn't be monumental. Sometimes it's as easy as an attitude shift. Life is what we bring to it. Do you have a job that seems less than exciting? When you walk through the door, bring joy with you. Life looks better when viewed through a positive attitude. Are you facing a health challenge or surgery? Get rid of your fears by focusing instead on spirit working in and through you. When you remember that with God all things are possible, your outlook cannot help but change. Today, wherever you go, whatever you face, do so with joyous expectations. Release your inner splendor and allow the light and love of God to guide your way.
5: This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Give it a test run with our 30-day free trial offer. Learn more at unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword.
3: Listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace
4: O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm talking today with Rolf Gates. Uh, he's a yoga and meditation teacher and author of several books, including uh, the one I read from in the beginning Meditations from the Mat Daily Reflections on the Path of Yoga. His website is rolfgates.com. And Rolf, before the break, I, I was you know, thinking about listening to you describe your life in a very full teaching schedule, and now you're traveling lot and you're uh, married you're a father of uh, two children and um, you you have a very full life as as I do and I think probably our our listeners do as well and so I'm always curious about how people live uh, let's call it yoga in the fast lane how people live their yoga um, every day and so You know, it must be interesting for you to cultivate a steady practice while you're traveling around and changing time zones and your schedule, um, you know, is, is steady in the sense that you're always moving around, but it's not steady that you're always in one place. And so, you know, how... How has your, let's call it deep end of yoga, um, your study of Yoga Sutra and your meditation practice um, supported you in having that uh, center, you know, wherever you go?
1: Well, um, you know, I was thinking, because you, you let me know the question was coming, so I thought about it during the break. And um, I have to say I really benefited from the early training in my in uh 12 step program um, because they essentially said you organize your life around your recovery and they included your work life. And so I think that to the listeners I'd say a strategy that I was given early on was that you um, affirm your spiritual practice in your work life so that literally like what you're doing in the world you know professionally, is kind of a validation of what you're doing in your spiritual practice, and so for me, you know, that's obviously overt with, with, as a yoga teacher. But i had originally intended to be an addictions counselor, where I was kind of affirming loving kindness, I was affirming compassion, I was affirming wakefulness. You know, um, I was bring, you know, I was, a, I was, the, I was essentially affirming the human capacity to overcome our patterns, like, like literally in your everyday life. Uh, your work can be an opportunity to, uh, to mm-hmm. reinforce, to remember, and to reinforce the, the, the principles that you're living by. And so that was something given to me early on by 12-step programs, because it's definitely an, ex, an, an ex, a, uh, explicit instruction that, mm-hmm. you know, you let your work life be a support to your sobriety. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that went on to be, you know, a support to my spiritual growth in general. So that yeah. what
4: that was the first strategy that I had and so you would you I know what you mean, and um let's just just stay with it for a moment, so can you? And because this, of course, is a theme that we have in yoga, you know, that, you know, don't separate your, basically your material life, your worldly life, your family life, your work, you know, from your spiritual practice. It is your spiritual practice. And so, um, would you give us an example of how that works, you know, what you're just talking about, like how your your recovery, how your yoga practice um, gets integrated into your work? What would be an example of that?
1: Well, I think it begins by just having your beginner time, you know, where you're not so like, you know, in 12-step programs, there's a thing called a recovery job where for the first couple of years of your sobriety, you're not actually challenging yourself much. You just get a recovery job. You work by the counter at CVS or whatever so that your energy can be focused on not drinking and going to meetings and doing the steps. And so you're not trying to make your work life, something of an offering it's just something you're doing to put a roof over your head but once you have stability in your sobriety once you have stability in your practice uh, then there's some bandwidth for giving back and for and for you know making a positive influence in your community and for me uh, you're now at that stage assuming you're there you're looking at what has happened in my you're reflecting what has happened in my life what has changed for me and what effect did that change? And then how can I help others have the experience that I've had? And that could be public school teaching. It could be addictions counseling. It could be running for office, you know. Uh, it could be running yoga studios like we do, you know. Um, uh, but there's this reflection, this examination on what has made my life work, what's made my life, what's in the, like what just happened, what's the essence of it, you know. And so for me, the part of the essence of what happened was there was uh, you know, positive connection with other human beings, that people were kind to me. And that made all the difference in the world. And so part of my work life was going to be, I want to be in the world in a way where I can express kindness and compassion. Like that's where that's, that's condoned and supported in my workplace, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be in the world where truth is spoken. You know, we get to speak the truth. And that was a high bar. Many places um, of work don't allow us to be who we truly are and say, you know, speak from the heart. Of, you know, this is who I am because people did that for me, and it made it, it helped them, my my life. Like to be in the presence of why speech is you know, uh, it's transformative. And so you reflect on like what was the what what made a difference for me, and then how can I bring that into the world? And then there's going to be your own personal inclinations. Some people want to be school teachers. Some people want to be coaches. Some people want to be legal advocates for, you know, spe- I have a neighbor who's a legal advocate for people going through the special ed, uh, you know, uh, process where they get the, the funding and the, and the treatment plan for a child who needs special, ed, special education needs, you know. But there's some way that we can express our hearts
5: mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm.
1: world, which, mm-hmm. which aligns with our natural gifts mm-hmm. and and, and,
4: uh, and I like what Go you ahead. said about being in touch with, you know, basically our own transformation. You know, what happened? <laughs> what happened in our life that turned things around for us? And how can we, uh, in doing what we do, whatever we do, um, be an instrument for that for other people? And so, what I hear you saying is that you just you start there you know with um you know that's kind of basic in recovery too, you know like, oh, well, what happened, <laughs> and how is it now and um and, and so I think that's a beautiful way Ralph, to think about our work life that it's not you know something that we we do um in as much as we can see it as a vehicle of um Uh, that gives us an opportunity to give back, you know, to share um, what has transformed us. You know, um, that's what I heard and what you said. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. Mm. Great, <laughs> and I, you know, and in your book, of course, you have many beautiful um, meditations, reflections on on the eight limbs, and you know, I was reading one this morning, and I, 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 I didn't mark the page. I wish I had because I'd, I'd share it with the with the listeners. But it really had to do with learning how to be present. Learning how to use the senses to experience what we're experiencing in the moment, and um, I find that to be one of the most powerful practices um, from yoga. And really, it's there in the heart of recovery too, isn't it? You know, like how do you how do you just show up completely in the moment? And um, it seems that when we do that, um, then that kind of transformation um, can occur so um That's a tool that I love, you know, to bring with me to help me, you know, get out of my mind and into my heart, I will say, you know, in the midst of, um, you know, stress at work or, um, time pressure or any of those kind of things. Um, you know, yesterday I, I was, (laughs) there were so many things going on at one time. Um, you know, we're getting ready to celebrate our 35th anniversary of service. We've got a construction project going on in the back of the temple. We've got some changes on our staff. I have a new book that's being launched uh, next week. And, you know, like that, those those kinds of things. And I could just experience my mind, you know, just running around trying to, you know, put everything in order. And I, I just had to come back to experiencing... You know, the song of the bird in the garden, the, the light on the leaves, the feeling of the cool air. And then I, I found myself saying to myself, everything is in divine order. And, uh, and if, you know, so we can have those kinds of practices during the day, right, you know, wherever we are, that can provide that kind of, uh, Yoga moment. Um, so, what are some kind of practices like that that you use for yourself uh, in the midst of all that you do to, you know, bring you back um, to being fully present and experiencing life from the, from the heart?
1: Well, um, I, I have a teacher named uh, his name is Will Cabot. Then he's a Buddhist teacher, it's the son of John Kabat-Zinn, and he uses the word connection as you know. Uh, when you're sitting in meditation, for example, what you're aiming at with your attention is the the felt experience of connection, like connection through the five senses into the present moment. And and if you work from that concept, that like that, so his phrase is moving from craving, which is the Turning of the mind into patterns, the chitta vritti, right? Uh, moving from craving to connection, and so in any given moment we can be in our head, as as you were describing it, and then we can move from that kind of that disconnected state of mind, turning to connection with the present moment through the body and the breath, right? Um, but then you think your practice is being, oh, so I can connect to the body and the breath, but I can also connect through loving kindness, I can connect through compassion, I can connect through the intention of service. And this is like, like during the day. So when I'm with my son and my daughter, I can connect through loving kindness and joy. You know, when I'm with students, I can connect through compassion and the intention to educate. Um, when I'm driving, I can connect through the intention of not getting an accident. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's like connections available, you know, and so... I just want to put in a plug also for 12-step programs. I couldn't understand. So you walk in, you sit down, and you start listening to people. So what's happening in that moment? You're connecting to listening. You're moving from thinking to connection to one of your five senses.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And so those opportunities are, are are there all through the day. It's just how we look at what's happening.
4: Mm-hmm. And I found in, in 12-step meetings, you know, one of the... Um, things that goes on that facilitates connection is often um a very uh raw and vulnerable experience of truth. You know, it's a it's a place where of course honesty is upheld and people are encouraged um in that place to speak the truth of their experience and uh truth is is the most powerful connector. You know, it really gets us through uh, the mask of uh, ego, um, through this openness and vulnerability to a very deep connection, which is spiritual. You know, I always felt that uh, 12-step meetings uh, were sort of um, an unsuspecting uh, temple of God. And um, my experience is that that Often comes from the way in which truth is spoken. That has been my experience. So there's one of the yamas right there, you <laughs> know, satya, and uh, it that opens the opens the heart and makes that connection possible.
1: Yeah, I, okay. I think of the of the, when you were when, you and I are talking about the truth. I think if it is the truth from the heart, you know, and that that to speak the truth from the heart, the speaker has to drop into the heart, mm-hmm. has to connect through the heart, and then the listener has to hear from the heart. And so it becomes a heart space. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think a of lot, a lot of things in terms of the chakra, and the movement into the heart chakra is a critical phase for people. And as you step into a twelve-step meeting. People are speaking from the heart and you're required to listen from the heart, listen with your heart. And I think that's a, you know, a bridge into the heart chakra for many people.
4: Hmm. And don't you think, you know, when you think of it in terms of chakras, I, you know, I think of, um, you know, of the third uh, chakra as, you know, representing, you know, our, our energy and our will, right? <laughs> and um, that force of will that is so powerful, but, you know, for people uh, who deal with addictions, of course, you know, self-will is what gets us into trouble. And so through the path of willingness, you know, of surrender, of letting go of that, you know, need to try to control. Um, There's a step, a a movement from the third chakra to the fourth, you know, to the heart center. Do you experience it that way also?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think of, I think of us uh, culturally as shifting from the third to the fourth chakra. And, um, you know, like on a, le- on a, on a macro level and a meta level. And um, and so what's happened is these heart circles have, like, started to show up in our generation, you know, uh, specifically our generation. But I think this generation of force, there's some outliers. But I think of the yoga, the, you know, all the yoga studios and all the yoga uh, offerings in the country, these heart spaces, these heart chakras. I think the 12-step programs is an outlier of an early heart space. And and then what's really beautiful is I'm seeing the uh, a movement. I was shocked at the uh, power of the public school teachers here in Santa Cruz, and how they have turned at least Bayview, where my kids have gone through elementary school, into a heart space. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the teachers. I gotta tell you that like the teachers uh, in the country right now, at least the ones I'm interacting with in Santa Cruz uh, represent. A powerful force for change.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I, I, I'm stunned at I'm stunned at what they're accomplishing, you know, uh, without drawing almost any attention to themselves at all. Like it's just this quiet movement happening in our in our country, affecting an entire generation. It's pretty impressive.
4: Mm-hmm. Very much so, and of course, I, I see. Uh, you know, our our youngest daughter is uh, a teacher in the in the education system, and. Um, She's been mentoring other teachers, and one of the things they're doing is trying to um, turn our education system around, um, because for many years it was it was stripped of. Um, uh, things that would allow students to actually connect to themselves. You know, it became very um, focused on standardized testing, um, you know, mind, 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 right? <laughs> and the heart was missing. And so teachers, I think, have naturally come in to remedy that and, and bring it back into uh, into balance. And so that's a wonderful thing. And I think, you know, teachers are, uh, you know, just hopefully we'll, we'll turn this around and begin to lift up, teachers, um, you know they're they're really. Doctors, <laughs> They're, they, they should be seen, you know, in the same way. And what they do, you know, is so incredibly important. Um, we've we've found some avenues now to start teaching meditation um, in the school system. And um, the change that's coming about for the teachers and with the classrooms is, is really, you know, just phenomenal. And I'm guessing that you're like me, you know, wishing that um, or thinking that anyway. That it, gosh, wouldn't it have been great if we had these tools earlier on in life? What do you think about that?
1: Well, I, I honestly, um, I think that there needs to be a receptivity in, in the child. I think is you know. So, what I'm, my my wife has been teaching yoga in schools for you know for a very long time, and she's written some books now for kids, and she's you know really helping young people uh, find yoga. And so, uh, in general, I think that that's – I'm watching my kids Um, meditate with me in the morning, and they do yoga, and and it's just a really good idea. I think that for me personally, I was not um, – I was not going to uh, be able to badly. Uh, if you have a child in, uh, you know, kind of a, a circumstance of repeated traumatization, I, I just don't – you have to take that child out of the setting – you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and and kind of really give them, resource them significantly before they're going to, you know, these, these offerings. So for me, for instance, yoga happened, you know, two or three years into sobriety. I needed significant supports before I could settle enough to feel them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sadly, I think that uh, the people who need it the most, in some ways, are, mm-hmm. are need other structures in place first before mm-hmm. they can. Um,
4: yeah, yeah. You
1: have to kind of and, be happy there.
4: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And also, um, you know, what I've seen with um, some of the young men um, who, who come to the center, um, and particularly um, the young men of color, you know, in their cultures, um, some, where some of them are coming from, you know, yoga is seen um well, it's seen as, as something for, you know, let's say uh middle aged white women and okay. um and that it um it's also seen as a kind of a weakness, like, you know, to, to get um you know, meditate and chant Om, and, you know, it's, it's getting out of that strength identity for males. And so, you know, you must have encountered this in your work, and I, I'd love to hear, you know, what you have to say about that, like how we can encourage these. Because I, I know the ones who have persevered at our center have said, you know, I have found a strength inside of myself I never had before, and I had no idea yoga was like this. But that prejudice is there, so, you know, how have you seen it, and how have you dealt with it?
1: Well, I think yeah, I think this is, you know, as a teacher, there's a really different presentation, uh, you know, around gender in general, you know, of all you know, kind of uh, classes and backgrounds. I think that uh, women, for whatever reason, are um, have been taught uh, how to learn better. Um, it's not that the you know women are ego free by any stretch, but they can they can um, they can walk into a situation and not know what they're doing and take instruction and with more ease. I think for what I, you know, over the decades I, I found that men find it far more threatening to not know what they're doing to be on, you know, on, on someone else's turf. Um, mm. And so that and so that's just a gender thing. Um, so they're much, you know, much more guarded. Uh, I think there's an expectation that men be winners, that they, be sure, that they be effective, that they be, you know, you know, the champion. Uh, mm-hmm. and so to mm-hmm. walk to walk in and not know what they're doing is a much more difficult choice uh, for men. And mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't grow up like a young woman so I don't know mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. why that is, but I find that women role with not knowing what they're doing with much more ease. And they mm-hmm. they find being a beginner and learning and growing something they can do naturally and naturally well. Um, And the yoga class is a classroom. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, this is, this is, I've given a lot of thought to this as someone who feels an ethical obligation to make uh, every effort to be inclusive, like literally at at the core of my, you know, ethical approach to life is this, you know, uh, commitment to everybody, you know, not these people or those people. And I think that how we reach everybody is by reaching the people in front of us to the best of our ability. And what I'm seeing is, for instance, with the vets, you know, there's an adoption of yoga, you know, one vet to the next. The vets are the best emissaries to the vet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they understand vets the best. And I find that within the addictions world, addicts have brought yoga to addicts very effectively. Um, and so... Um, I see that will that will happen, but there'll be those outliers, and the way the outliers uh, are equipped to reach their communities, whatever communities we're talking about, is by us doing our job to the best of our ability. Mm. I, I really think we're gonna we can't say, "Hey, I'm gonna go help these people. Or I'm gonna go help those people." It's like <laughs> right. we have to say, "I'm gonna help the people who show up today." <laughs> right. And hope that that's enough. You know.
4: Right. And then people, that is true. That's how, you know, our center has grown over the years. You know, the strongest way it's grown is, you know, people telling other people about their own transformation, or as, as you shared early on, you know, people having having somebody in their life saying, What happened to you? You know, you're, you're so much calmer and you're, you're happy, and, you know, where'd you get that? So, you know, that's, of course, been the way that yoga has, you know, passed on, you know, through the centuries. Um, and so you talked about you know in your classes bringing the yamas and niyamas in as kind of a theme um theme for the day um in a way to to i I liked what you said about having your practice be you know kind of like the mini um uh universe really like your whole life is right there in your practice and um there's a way to think about how you are in the moment um with a particular yama or niyama um Tell we just have really a few minutes left here, but so maybe tell us about how you teach about harmlessness, about ahimsa, since it's the foundation for all the rest of them.
1: Well, um, I tend to let's say it's a three day weekend. Now I use a workshop format. I'm going to talk about that. I mean, I used to do drop in classes, uh, and I think that in some ways the intimacy. And the possibility is greater. Although you do have the limitation of a 60 or 90 minute space of a class, you're still with people for years on end. And so you can, you know, so I would be optimistic about how deep you can go in a drop in setting. But I'm going to describe um, uh, how I work a weekend just to give you a sense of how I approach Ayimsa. I I actually start with uh, uh, the basic uh, meditative abilities of wise effort and wise concentration that were taught by the Buddha. So I teach people on the first day how to, how to be in their body in a balanced way, but, you know, finding that balance between effort and ease. And I work with them on how to the careful placement of attention, you know, there's a phrase, samadhi is the careful collecting oneself into the joy of the present moment. So in day one, we just work on being here. And on day two, we work, work on, you know, kind of reflecting, like, okay, so now that you're here, that's kind of concentration mindfulness is the quality of reflection and what is it like And so those are my first two days and I'm using you know I'm a mainstream yoga asana person. so I'm using vinyasa yoga and there's like music playing sometimes but I'm really teaching those skills on day one and day two explicitly and I keep them moving forward and to me without those abilities we're not in a space where we can feel our own hearts and so on day three is when I teach loving kindness and compassion. And mm-hmm. it's like I, the setup is really to, to, to resensitize people. I think we're desensitized. And from a desensitized place, a, a, a nonviolent conversation doesn't make a lot of sense. But you take any, like I was a warrior. I was trained by special forces. I was a ranger in the army. I was highly desensitized. But you like, you like brush me off and set me down and give me a good bowl of soup and some meditation instruction. And I, I become a nonviolent person. You know, it's, you've got to, that's actually what happened. You know, I sitting in rehab, I was, I, I became nonviolent. Like I just I made the decision to live nonviolently. And so there's a sense of, you go from desensitized to sensitized and you move into a state of connection first. And then the heart kind of reveals the longing for, you know, kindness and compassion, you know, and, and so that's how I organized my weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, specifically I think of nonviolence as something that uh, is not, as a society, we have not embraced it in any way, you know, where we believe in violence as a solution to any number of situations. And so getting into that conversation is somewhat pointless, you know, like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't be violent to ISIS. It's like, it's a pointless conversation. A conversation that will work for me is let's get people settled and grounded and connected and then ask them who they want to be in their relationships. That to me is where people can understand. If a, a principle felt is understood, if you mm-hmm. can get people grounded and centered, and ask them how do you want to be with your brother, or your sister, or your mom, or your dad, your friends. Your children, mm-hmm. like mm. what principle comes to mind when you think of your children? Mm. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, <laughs> that's like, so loving, that's,
4: that's so beautiful, Raul. Thank you so much, and I, I love listening to you describe how you, in a sense, what we we talk about at our uh, Kriya Yoga Center is that really this our practice is arranging conditions. You know, we arrange conditions so that the innate. Um, loving kindness you know, the innate uh, joy can arise and you have just described that so beautifully and I love the way you just invite people to look at the reality of who they are and what they want to be it's been a real pleasure talking with you today and thank you for joining me on the yoga hour just a reminder to our listeners you can find out more about Rolf and his um, teaching schedule visit his website rolfgates.com And I want to invite you to uh, join me again next week. I'll be back. And um, I'm having a beautiful meeting with uh, Asha Nayaswami, the spiritual director of Ananda Palo Alto. Um, And she's also a longtime disciple in the spiritual tradition of Paramahansa Yogananda. So um, we're going to be talking about 10 questions that every devotee wants to know. The Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Visit us at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to Yoga Hour at iTunes or Stitcher, and thank you to our Yoga Hour team. I look forward to being with you again. Uh, Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world, share your peace and your joy With all that you meet. Thanks again, Rolf. It was great to meet you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
4: And uh, thank you, Jeff Comfort, in our sound booth. And uh, thanks to our Yoga Hour team, Laurel Trujillo, Nita Kenyon, and Ann Hayes. I'll see you, or hear you, or be with you next week. Bye now. <music>
3: Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
6: Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes?
2: It's been said that the way to build a peaceful world is one person at a time. Think about it. Haven't we all been in situations where one person's attitude, his or her state of mind and way of being, had a profound effect on everyone in the group? We may have seen times when the effect was negative, caused by gossip or backbiting. But we've all seen times where one person changed an environment in a positive way. By maintaining a friendly attitude,